Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here this morning. Good morning to everyone up in Port Perry. Good evening to everyone in Bowmanville. And hi to anyone who's watching here or around the world. Well, what a journey we have been on as a family, whether you're a seeker, a brand new Christian, a skeptic, or a long-term follower of Jesus, as we've been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, trying to find out what does it look like for a Christian to be faithful in a large, urban, multicultural, pluralistic world that the Corinthians lived in, and we, of course, in the GTA live in too. Paul has addressed so many things. What is the gospel? What is godly leadership? Why there cannot be family feuds? Uh, what is sex? What is marriage? What is singleness? What is divorce? What is remarriage? What about idols? What about spiritual food? What about physical food? God, worship, demons, the list goes on and on. And at this moment, as you're reading through the letter, Paul now moves to do something so unbelievably important, no matter who you are within the sound of my voice. He chooses now to clarify spiritual power, good and bad. Now, why did this matter to them 2,000 years ago? And why does this matter to us sitting here today? Because spiritual power outside of ourself is absolutely critical for the church to be revived. Spiritual power is absolutely critical to accomplish mission. It is necessary for personal holiness. It is necessary for heaven-given love. It is absolutely necessary for being fundamentally different than the world we're called to be in. Without spiritual power, we cannot be pilgrims and pioneers. Without spiritual power, we cannot love differently. Without spiritual power, we cannot be truly Christ-like. But spiritual power also can be the place of deception, of demonic encounter, and grieving the Spirit of God. Now again, we will see that Paul is going to show us that the goal of a pastor or an elder or, or a leader in the church is never to dismiss experience, or stop experience, and some of us who grew up in church grew up in churches that were suspicious or antithetical to experience. No, that's not the job to do this in private or public, but it is to find out the source. What I'm seeing in front of me, is it human? Is it demonic? Is it godly? Is it the tacos from last night? Is it medical? And if the experience is from God himself... No matter how weird or uncomfortable we may be with that expression, Paul then moves to deal with the motives behind the experience and the gifts. Now, we have taught this in this church for years, and if you are new to us, this is critical that you understand this. One of the areas of guaranteed encounter between God and, our, and his people, us, are spiritual gifts, because they are the only ongoing place of heaven-given power to do work from. Let me say that again. Spiritual gifts are the only exclusive place to keep working for God on earth because it is the only place where the Spirit of God shows up every single time in power to serve. Now, gifts are about doing. Well, fruit of the Holy Spirit is about character. It's about being. All of us sitting here today, wherever you are, whatever site you're at, we will not have all 21 gifts, but we are all called to have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And as we've been taught and we've understood and we've learned in this church, we know that Jesus himself used spiritual gifts. That is why Jesus is not just our Savior and our Lord. He's also our model. But he also demonstrated all the fruit of the Spirit. 
We've also learned that natural gifts, what you're born with, and learned abilities are good and important and can be redeemed. But they are not guaranteed places of power, nor are our programs, nor are our attempts at vision. All of that, of course, is important and needed. But now we get to the heart of the conversation in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul writes in verse 1, Now about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. This becomes the place where the biblical foundation is set for a common script so we together have a common understanding of the gifts that we can start using gifts, growing in our gifts. We can experience the profound joy that comes from honoring God and serving others and knowing our part, our assignment from God as we live in this generation and time. Now notice, at this time, he addresses the whole church. Multiple times in this letter, he's been addressing segments and groups in the church because of the infighting or wrong doctrine or heresy or the list goes on. Now he says, no, I want to speak to everybody. And notice he says to brothers and sisters, God gives spiritual gifts to men and women. Gender has nothing to do with God's work when it's connected to gifts. When you get, obviously, to offices in first chapter 11, it's a different conversation. But when it comes to spiritual gifts... The Spirit of God assigns them as he chooses. Now he says in verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or another you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Now we might use that word pagan, it even could be a slam or a slander these days, but pagan 2,000 years ago to an Orthodox Jew just meant one who is not Jewish religiously or ethnically. As the church began to evolve within the Jewish movement, the idea of pagan for us became your life pre-Jesus. Paganism, of course, is also a system of thought and religion. And and here's Paul's point. He was saying to that church in Corinth, almost all of you used to be involved in different pagan religious systems before you were a Christian, and in all of those expressions, you were all being led astray. Now, if you're taking notes for Connect Group this week, you circle that word, led astray, because it is powerful and we miss it in English. That phrase in Greek, led astray, was used exclusively for prisoners who'd been condemned to a life sentence or were about to be executed to death. And here is what Paul is saying. When human beings worship anyone else, including themselves or any other God, other than the God who is the Father, found through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, you are placed in jail and you are condemned to death. But that is why we as Christians unashamedly love and cherish the idea that we are led by Jesus. We're even okay with the very uh, countercultural phrase that we are slaves to Jesus Christ. Why? Because he loves us and he's good and he's trustworthy and he does not lead us back to prison and he does not condemn us anymore. Pre-church, pre-Jesus, this worship community that Paul is writing was in bondage to these idols. Now you go, hold on a second, how can that be? I mean, idols are mute. They're made up of things. It's like wood or stone or jewels or marble or even money or education or sex or power. And never forget that's not the whole story. See, Paul's already taught this, that behind idols themselves and the systems of worship and self-promotion, there are real sentient beings that before the beginning of time rebelled against God and hate him. They are called demons. They are fallen angels and they love to promote and they glory in false worship and they love stealing the glory that is due to the Trinity. This goes back to last week, 1 Corinthians ten nineteen. Do I mean then food sacrificed to idol is anything or an idol is anything? No. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God, and I do not want you to know, fellowship, participate with demons as a Christian. Like John, well, what's the point? 
Well, when these Christians used to be not Christians and they were going to other temple worship services, they saw all this amazing supernatural activity. It wasn't faked. It wasn't like 1-800-CLEO at 3 o'clock in the morning. It was real. And so they're involved in these services and they see all this. And now they've become Christians and they walk into church and what they're surprised by is they're also seeing all the supernatural activity. And here's the point. It looks exactly the same. So Paul begins to deal with spiritual gifts and he begins to teach this church and all of us to discern the difference between what spirit is at work in what environment. Now this is critical for all of us. It doesn't matter who you are. The question in most cases is not what it looks like, but what is the source and the confession and the fruit from the experience. Picture in your mind a plug in a wall socket. And Paul for, Paul's question is not, is the experiencing happening or should it happen, but what is the source of the power at work? See, elders and pastors and key leaders, we're not to dismiss experience, but to discern again, where is that electricity coming from? Is it medical? Is it the person? Is it God? Is it demonic? Is it self-invented? That's why Paul says, therefore, I want you to know that no one is speaking by the Spirit of God can say, Jesus, be cursed. And no one who is saying Jesus is Lord can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are three unbelievably important things that we need to work out of this verse that is really going to help us. First of all, Paul wants them to help understand that both evil and godly supernatural experiences on the surface will look exactly the same, but the fruit matters. So let me break it down this way. They had seen people speak in tongues in temples. They had seen people prophesy the future in those temples and things came true. They even saw people physically get healed in the name of other gods and the person walked out better. And what Paul's point is that that is not evidence alone that the Spirit of God is working because something profound, even good, happens in the room. That is why the spirit of Antichrist is so unbelievably dangerous. The spirit of Antichrist looks like Jesus, sounds like Jesus, acts like Jesus, and does the same things Jesus does, but he does it to deceive, not to bring life. So what clarifies the difference? It's the intelligible content of the utterance later. You can speak in tongues, but if you end up saying, Jesus, be cursed, it's not from our side. Second of all, Paul wants to enforce this idea that salvation is 100% from God and not from us. Sure, anyone can mouth the words, Jesus is Lord. People can say it in a mocking way, even say it sincerely, but not mean it at the same time. Paul is saying when someone really says Jesus is Lord, it is actually a move of God that has happened in the heart. You never can do this by self-discovery. It's got to be God working in you. And why is he bringing this up? Well, here's why. If salvation is a 100% God gift, then of course, this only leads to the place called humility, which this Paul, Paul wants to deal with in this church all the time because this church is at war with itself. Greed, hate, racism, pride, and spiritual abuse through spiritual gifts. But third and most importantly today is this. 2,000 years ago when a Christian confessed Jesus as Lord, they were offending every single person within their friendship circle. When you declare Jesus as Lord, the first thing you were declaring is that Jesus is Lord, King of kings, Lord of lords. All other gods are false. There is only one God found through Jesus by the Spirit. Jesus is Lord. So you're actually saying to all your friends who worship very sincerely other gods, you're all wrong. How to make friends, right? Once again. Second of all, when you declare Jesus as Lord, you are actually saying that the Roman emperor was not who he claimed to be because at that time, amazingly, the Roman emperor was called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Prince of Peace. 
And when a Christian would declare Jesus as Lord, they would be saying, you are out of place, Mr. Emperor. You are not who you think you are. Jesus is above you. Third of all, when Christians actually declared Jesus as Lord, they were also declaring to all Jews that actually Yahweh is only exclusively found through Jesus, and the title Lord, which is exclusively given to the God of the Jews, now applies to Jesus because Jesus is one with the Father. Also, when they declared Jesus as Lord, they were saying, I am a slave to Jesus. He is my master and my king. He has the right to tell me what to do. So when Christians confessed Jesus as Lord, they offended everyone, every other faith, the Jewish faith, and the political and religious system all in one breath. That is why, by the way, Paul included this in the book of Romans. Now you understand the power of this confession. If you declare with your mouth what? Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. Oh, then you'll be saved. See, Jesus Christ, Jesus from Nazareth, the crucified one, by his life, his birth, his life, his death, his physical resurrection and ascension is the Lord of the universe. There's no other God. There's no other way for forgiveness. There's no other path. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow. Every tongue is going to confess it whether they want to or not. Amen and amen. So he says, Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, Paul moves to the past, to the new present, and begins to work out what spiritual gifts look like personally and then for us together. He says, you know, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Holy Spirit distributes them. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is the one that gives his gifts to the church. And notice again, this is so critical. God gives them to us. He chooses. We don't have a say in the spiritual gifts at all. Like salvation, the giving of gifts is a 100% God act. And why does that matter? Because it leads us all to a deep place called humility. That God would actually give us gifts and they're only from him, would would mean that we can't use them as pride or use them against each other. See, don't imagine this idea that you wake up every morning and say, God, what gifts are you giving me today? And you have this empty tool belt. That's not how this works. God sovereignly assigns gifts to individuals for their whole Christian life. And that's critical because it forces not independence or, or dependence, but interdependence. You're not an eye one day and a mouth the next day. You're not a prophet, then a, oh, I have mercy today and tomorrow I'm a teacher. No, no, no. You're assigned. Now remember, the right gift could be there, but you could have the wrong attitude with it. Moses literally had God's power in his hand, and he split the Red Sea with it, and he struck the rock, and water came out, but he also did it out of anger. But notice, and here's the beautiful thing, when God is allowed to work more and more in any local church, no matter its style, the diversity of gifts will go up. He says, you know, there are different kinds of services, but the same Lord... There are different kinds of working, but, the same, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, gifts, services, and workings are three words for the same thing, spiritual gifts. And notice, we have God in his fullness in this passage. Maybe you missed it. You have the Holy Spirit, you have the Lord who is Jesus and God the Father. The work of God, the spiritual gifts of God are grounded within the Trinitarian relationship. And, and maybe you didn't catch this because I didn't for the first few readings. It is no mistake that literally in the text, Jesus is between the Father and the Spirit. He is the mediator and revealer. And notice, what is the word that Paul is inspired to connect to Jesus? He says, there is one Lord who is connected to what? Service. This gives us the needed grounding, an ongoing grounding for our spiritual gift conversation. Humility, being meek and humble, is never to be despised in the church or resisted in the church or looked down. It must be welcomed. As Jesus has demonstrated in his life, weakness is where the greatest heaven-given power is always released. 
So be warned and encouraged, Paul says. Warning, never make spiritual gifts about your identity, your pride, your PR, or your status. And the reverse is also true. What a relief that we don't need to bribe God. What a relief that we don't have to go to some temple and do all these sacrifices to get God's attention and maybe he'll give us an experience or a gift. No, he gives them. Every good gift is from our Father. He loves giving us gifts. And isn't it amazing too, and this is difficult for many of us, but this is critical. Isn't it beautiful that we can be free in God-given limitation because we don't have to be someone else. God assigns us something. Let's be satisfied there and not look anywhere else. Now he says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That's the summary. Why are we given spiritual gifts? Common good. To build each other up, to rebuke, to encourage, to challenge, to bring life in the church and life outside of the church. The spiritual gifts are not given for rivalry or jealousy. They are not be, they're not given to be hidden or be suppressed. They're given for the common good, which means we all must be involved in using them. Now in verse 8, 9, and 10, he lists a group of spiritual gifts specifically. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healings, uh, miraculous powers, that's miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in different types of tongues, the interpretation of tongues. And we're not working through all the definitions today, but verse 11 is critical. All these things are the work of the one and same spirit, and he distributes them to each one as he determines. Again, we are moved to see that God is at work and it's his will. And this serves as the needed caution again for any of us who want to demand God to give us a gift we do not have or actually think we should actually be gifted in a different way. See, our unity comes from divine purpose expressed in sovereign assigned gifts. See that word distributes? It's critical. In Greek, it means to contain And and that's the whole point. There's this containing. Once you've got the gift of prophecy or tongues or teaching or whatever it is or mercy, it is contained in you. As a general rule, again, Jesus Christ, through his spirit, sovereignly endows each one of us with one or more gifts for a life. Now, from gifts and the source of gifts, we now get to Paul's best summary of what the church has to be. And notice below, the church is not a democracy, The church is not a dictatorship. It's not some form of lesser anarchy. It is a body, the images of a human body, that is made up of different people that have different roles, and they are in mutual submission. Again, not dependence, not independence, but interdependence. Just as a human body, verse 12, though one has many parts, and all its parts are many form one body, so it is with Jesus. Though we're all different people in this church, and we have different backgrounds and different spiritual gifts, this does not affect our fundamental unity at all. And why? Because we're all possessed by the same spirit and we all have one head, who is Jesus. And this shows that to be with Jesus, listen and please, you have to be with others. There is no weird split. You cannot be with Jesus by yourself. Church is the body of Christ. That is why in our discipleship language, this is why we're so serious about this. This is why we say we have to make celebrating big serious in this church. That's why we have to connect small. That's why we have to share in the work. We have to engage in mission together, together, together. You cannot be a Christian and be a cowboy by yourself. It does not exist. We are together as one community. Why? Because we literally make up a body. And then Paul says, for we are all baptized, I love this, by one spirit to form one body, whether we're Jews or non-Jews, we're slave or free, we're all given the one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now many of us who maybe have grown up in church are so used to this verse that we miss the power and the significance of this. 
This is like an earthquake that broke the very foundations of both Roman and Jewish thinking and still is foundationally revolutionary today. Every single ethnic and socioeconomic bracket of the ancient world is swept aside in two verses. See the power of this. All religious, gender, economic, and racial barriers that governments and education and teaching and war and writing has never been totally able to either root out or reoriented. God does it in one power, in one place through his spirit. When we join Jesus Christ, there is a level foot at the cross. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter your skin color or where you come from, Jesus is for the world and he's come to bring us all home. That's the power of Christianity. And all human distinctions are either reoriented or broken. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. And think about it, the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian here today, is living in you. You are literally possessed by God, and that is the only thing that distinguishes you from non-Christians. He's the one who marks you, he's the one that began your walk, he took you over the threshold of faith, he let you know Jesus, he actually let you know you're a child of God, he binds us together, he convicts us of sin, he empowers us to live like Jesus, and he is the proof that the resurrection is true and that we will share in it. But... This verse also shows us something, and this is going to be difficult for some of you who grow up in other church traditions. This verse explicitly says that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a part two experience. You're not like a carnal Christian and then you get zapped and everything gets better later. No. When you became a Christian and you confessed Jesus as Lord, at that moment you were baptized into the Holy Spirit. You were received as a son or daughter. So baptism in the Spirit is conversion and conversion is baptism. Oh, oh, don't misunderstand this. Paul says we're called to be filled over a lifetime. That's continuous. And the fillings can be epic or boring or something in between. But when you became a Christian, you were baptized in fire. You were brought into the community. He says, we've all drank one spirit. We've all been watered by one spirit. It comes from the image of irrigation. You can translate this. We have been all saturated with one spirit. Why does this matter? Because this ties both of our baptisms together. See, every single person on earth who loves Jesus, no matter who they are, was baptized in the Holy Spirit at conversion. The Spirit of God moved in, and they have living fire in them. Water baptism that happens next is the image or the symbol of the other baptism that has already taken place. The water baptism is like the wedding ring saying, I've already been married. I am married to this person. Who am I married to? The one who, am I, who is already living in me. Fire baptism, water baptism, in that order. Now Paul says, now that is our common unity. That's why spirit baptism can't be a part two thing. Our unity is fundamentally in spirit baptism through Jesus. So if that's our unity, now Paul says, okay, let's deal with disunity. And watch what he does brilliantly. He starts at the bottom of the body and moves up. If a foot should say, well, I'm not a hand. I don't belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if an ear should say, uh, ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. It starts at the bottom and works its way up, lower to higher. Now, why? There was a lot of people in the church in Corinth, just like a lot of people in this church and every church, who were humble. They didn't have spectacular gifts. They never cast out demons or saw someone raised from the dead or they never see the future or anything like that. And, and actually... They're not that wealthy, and they've never had access to vacations like others, and actually, they have no positions of leadership or power. So they go, I wonder if I'm valuable. I wonder if I'm disqualified. And, and when I see those other Christians with all that stuff, maybe, maybe God likes them more than he likes 
me. Paul doesn't answer the question yet. He says, you know, if the whole body was an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every single one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. See, God's care, listen close, is not extended or given or lavished more on those that are prominent or spectacular or wealthy. God says, I have ordained everyone's gifting the way I wanted This is my way. Unity and diversity are founded on God's choosing. This is the heart of the church. And this gets to actually the problem facing the Corinthian church and always is a shadow in every church. Some people in that church thought because I've got money or because I've got these spectacular gifts or I'm a leader or I can speak so well in public, I'm better than the rest of you and I just need to put up with you. I've committed this sin so many times as a pastor, as a father, as a husband, And as a Christian, (laughs) pride and vanity and self-sufficiency and arrogance. You want to see how bad it was? Just go back to chapter 11. The rich are eating all this food at communion. The poor show up later. There's no food left. People are getting drunk out of their mind. And Paul says, you've missed it. He actually reverses the conversation. He now moves from the humbler members to those that have the greater gifts uh, socioeconomically and also spiritually and moves down. He says, to the, he says this in verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, uh, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, oh, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem weaker, listen closely, are, I love this word, indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. They don't need any Instagram campaign. God has put the body together, giving great honor to the parts that lack it. So there should be no division in the church but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. Notice, the so-called lesser people in the church are not just good or people that are welcome for the party, but not really, and they're not just people we put up with. God declares them indispensable. The point is, those with less flashy gifts are loved by God. Let me say this to many of you today. Your value has nothing to do with how you're gifted. You are valuable because God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. End of story. End of story. And the truth is, those with weaker gifts... The body cannot work without them. This is what heaven is literally crying out this moment. Don't you forget that appearances deceive. All things are necessary. I am the Lord. I have built this church. For the many of you that feel lesser today around other Christians because they are spectacular or whatever, God says to you, you are mine. You are not less. You are right where I want you to be. Do not live in the shadow of other people. Do not be given to the sin of anger or jealousy. Do not actually always want what I have not given you and do not form your identity out of the comments of others. I have formed you. I love you. I am pleased with your service. And when you face me in the new heavens and the new earth, Jesus says, what I give you will be more fulfilling, more satisfying. When I honor you, everything else will not matter because my honor goes on forever. Forever. And we who have stronger gifts, and I am one of those who that that does, do not be prideful. Do not look down. Do not think you're more important or better than anyone. God says to us, I give and I take away. I raise up and I bring down. Do not forget whose glory this is all about. 
If one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, well, every part rejoices with it. Ever had a toothache before? Doesn't matter how the rest of your body's functioning. You could, listen, what are you thinking about? Ugh. Ever had a great meal? Your whole body's like, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Right? What? Here's Paul's point. When one part is hurting, we all hurt. When one part is doing well, we all do well. In other words, what you do in your private life affects us all. Let's all keep on task together. Critical. So now we are the body of Christ. Each one of you is part of it, and God is placed in the church. First apostles, then prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, then of helps, of guidance, and different kinds of tongues. You're like, hold on, John. I just thought we were all equal, and now he's saying first, second, third, and fourth. Oh, don't miss it. Yes, some people have to lead. Some people have been given influence and responsibility and authority, but it's not about value, it's about role. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do I speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No, but now eagerly desire the greater gift. And then he says, gifts, and then he says, I'm going to show you the most excellent way. You're like, oh, John, he just, you just told me that God gives me the gifts, and now I'm seeking, so, ooh, what's happening? Let me work this out for you. Number one, God will assign every single person who is a Christian at least one gift or more. Can you ask God for more gifts? Sure, absolutely, you have the right to ask. Just get ready to hear this word, no. (laughs) See, most churches that teach this go, see, you're going to get it if you ask. I'm sorry, he's not a credit card. And he's not a debit machine. If he chooses to give you another gift, praise God. But get ready for the no and get ready to be satisfied anyway. But what's the greatest gift? And what's the most excellent way? See, that's Paul's point. Let me show you. What is it? And he's going to say this, and we're going to walk this through next week. It's not prophecy, and it's not tongues, and it's not casting. You know what it is? It's love. Love is the greatest gift because love allows you to hold electricity in your hand right. The Holy Spirit's presence is guaranteed every time we use spiritual gifts because they are God-given places of service and they need the Holy Spirit to be present. Why do I bang on this drum all the time here? Because the Holy Spirit is always ready to fill the gas with car, the car with gas when you use your spiritual gifts. All the programs at C4 and all we do must follow out of sovereignly given gifts. Know your gift so you can serve in power no matter what program you join. Romans 12, 3, for it is by the grace given to me, I say to all of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. This is talking about gifts. In other words, we are called to see each other through the gifts that have been given and the different strengths and authority of the same gift. And since expectations can kill you, kill a church, grieve faith, or destroy a ministry, we must continue on this long journey in this church to challenge ourselves not to waste our life and breath spending time trying to be something God has not made us to be. And do not also, on the other hand, actually want other gifts the Spirit has not given to you. And don't actually spend the majority of your time trying to do ministry in an area you're not gifted in. Do we all have to work in areas we don't like? Yes. But do the majority of your kingdom work where the Spirit of God has equipped you. You won't burn out as quickly. You'll find more joy and His power is available. It's a reservoir that's not human. But the reverse is also true. Do not spend your life always wanting everyone else in the church to be gifted like you. I've spent talking, I've talked about this so many times. All the mercy people in the church are always angry when everyone's not merciful. 
And all the prayer people think we should be praying 40 hours a day. And all the preachers are upset because you don't know doctrine well enough. And Stop. Work together. That's the point. That's the point. Don't actually always, this gift tension thing gets us in trouble all the time. You will always enter angry, bitter, or disappointed when your views are not heaven's views and you don't see people through the lens of spiritual gifts. But when we humbly together through the power of the Spirit explore what gifts could be given and then find them, we will meet the giver of the gifts and we will see the Spirit of God pour out living water in a way we've never seen before. That is why spiritual gifts are critical in this church and we're going to keep talking about them because God has designed the church to go forward through this power and no other. No other. So what do we learn and what do we do with this? Well, number one, to many of you who join us who are not Christians, you who are spiritual among us, you probably expect us as Christians to dismiss your experience. Not at all. We actually believe it's probably happening. Here's my challenge to you though. Are you sure you don't want something better? See, here's the thing. You have great power, no denying. One of you has extreme power. But let me tell you, the one who lives in me and many of us here is God. He is eternal. He is limitless. And you spend your life in spirituality and all these different experiences thinking that you're tapping into power. You've got nothing on the one who's in us. You want greater power? You come to Jesus Christ who is revealed by the Spirit who reveals the Father. You come to him, and not only will you find power that is unlimited, that you've never experienced as a pagan, whatever you call yourself, here's the deeper thing. You will be loved at the same time. There's an old hymn in in our movement that says, there's no shadow in our God, no shadow in thee. All you who are spiritual, who spend your life in spirituality, dark or light, let me tell you, there are shadows in all of it. There is no shadow with our God. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. He will love you and equip you at the same time. That is what we hold out to you. Jesus Christ is what? Lord. He is Lord. Now for all of us beyond that, this is going to be the moment where this gets a little interesting in the room. Every single one of us needs to make a decision to do something. Some of us have, most of us haven't. Every single one of us actually needs to surrender every single one of our gifts and our experiences formally to Jesus to make sure they're actually from our side. Like what? We have to do this. Any spiritual gift you had before Jesus isn't from our side, even if it was good or helpful. Any spiritual gift you had before you met Jesus is not from our side. I was teaching at a seminary a few years ago on spiritual dynamics and a young man came to me and he said, um, you know, I I function in a church. I said, that's great. He said, I'm preparing to be a pastor. I said, wonderful. And he said, by the way, I always can tell when someone's about to die. I can always sort of tell the future and my mom does this and my grandma, all my insides are like, alert, alert, but I'm smiling. Yeah, okay, great. And I said, how long have you had this? He said, since I was born. I said, it's not of Jesus. What? I said, you cannot have spiritual gifts pre the Holy Spirit. He says, but I use it in the church for good. I don't care. It's evil. He says, well, what do I do? I said, you go home tonight and you say to the true living Jesus from Nazareth, you say, I give over these things that I've built my identity on and I thought from you. And if they're not from you, take them away. He walked in the next day. He was a big white guy. Let me tell you, he was whiter than white than white. I was like, what's going on? He walked in and I said, are you okay? He said, I'm blind. I said, like, did something happen to your eyes? He said, no, no. He says, that gift is gone. I'm terrified. And I said, yes. Now you can ask Jesus where the real power is. Now you can ask where the real power is. Now you can be free and not be deceived and enslaved any longer. Every person in this church, this week over the next seven days, needs to write a list out of every spiritual experience you had before Jesus. 
Visions, dreams, you may go, oh, I, don't, I dismissed all that. Don't do it, write it down and go to Jesus and said, not from you, remove the power. Not from you, remove the power. I only want what's from the spirit of Jesus Christ. Not only this, many of us know our gifts, but many of us don't. So you're, not, you're like, John, what do I do? Okay, it's time for you to find out your spiritual gifts so you can serve in power. You say, what do I do, take a test? No, don't take a test. First thing you need to do, honestly, and this is not self-promotion, go back to 2011 on our app or on our website. I spent nine or 11 weeks going through every gift, what it feels like, what it looks like, how it functions in our church, and sit and listen to what the scriptures declare the gifts are. Then hang out in community and find out what's happening. You're like, why would I talk to others? Because they always see spiritual gifts in you before you do. It's always happening. Years ago in my connect group, we were sitting around and we were talking about gifts in 2011, 12. And one guy said, I don't have any gifts. I'm like, no, that's a lie. Of course you do. The Bible is clear. He says, well, I don't know what it is. And we all laughed at him in his face. He's like, this is the worst connect group ever. We're, you know, we're like, no, we're laughing at you because we all know what you have. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, well, first of all, what do you do when you come to Connect Group? Well, we, yeah. And then I said, what else? He said, well, I pray. And I said, who do you pray about? I, well, I pray about this person. And what makes all of them the same? Well, they're all non-Christians, right? And then what do you do? Well, I always tell them about Jesus. Yes, you're an evangelist. Go, go tell more people. <laughs> Out. And we're all laughing because he always was telling people about Jesus, but he thought he had to be Billy Graham. No, he kept, and he he told more people about Jesus than I ever have. So we're like, find out your gifts, ask in community. This is why we're doing one day. Take the shape course. Find out your natural abilities, your learned abilities, and your spiritual gifts. Sign up for that so you can see how you're shaped by God so we can see more divine power released in our church. Now, many of you know your gifts, and you're like, well, John, what for me? Well, let's work through these issues together. Do you know your spiritual gifts, but you stopped using them? Lots of us found out our gifts in the last eight years in our church, but we grew up, or we had kids, or we became grandparents, or we got tired, or schedules changed, or we got burned as this church was trying to work it out right. So let me just say to you, we're going to reach a lot more people in this church in the next two years, and we're going to need everyone on deck. This ain't a cruise ship. This is a battleship. And we need every single person in this church knowing their spiritual gifts and getting ready to receive hundreds and then thousands of more people to serve them. And so I'm going to ask everyone again, if you're burned or tired, listen, go back to Jesus and ask for a new filling of the Spirit and start using your gifts again because we need everyone on deck because Jesus is bringing lots of people home. Also, are you a person that thinks you're less today? Are you a person that's full of anger, envy, jealousy, or resentment towards God because you see people that have the same gifts of you, but they're stronger versions, or you've actually wanted that other gift, and you haven't been given it, even though you've asked? Are you even involved in self-hatred because you want to be something God has not created you to be, so you have no, not happiness, joy? Maybe you've allowed other people to form you and not let God say things over you. In other words, their words or your words are stronger than God's word. Well, God comes to you and says, Come to me. And this is what God will say to many of you. You are indispensable. Do you know how powerful it is when God speaks? The Bible says that when God speaks like a whisper, trees lose their bark. Mountains get decimated. When God speaks, God speaks. And here's the point. So many of you have lost joy because you keep looking everywhere but to the, to the hand of your master 
to your loving Heavenly Father, to your brother Jesus, to the Comforter of the Spirit. You need to go to God himself and say, am I indispensable? And you watch him speak back to you and sing over you who you really are. And joy will begin to bubble up again and you will not waste your time anymore looking to others. To another group of you, have you put God in a box because of your fear? You say things out louder in your head, well, God can't do that anymore. Or I don't want to be in a church where all that weird stuff happens. Repent. Never say to the living God of heaven and earth, do not. God will trample your sensibilities for your own good and his glory. All the gifts are in operation. They're all needed. Love gifts, word gifts, and power gifts form like a three-legged stool. If one is missing, it wobbles. If the other one's missing, it falls down. If you're a person who keeps saying, I'm afraid to really serve at C4 or connect because of the weird stuff that happens here sometimes, it's okay. But repent of fear because people need to see that there is a God in Durham and a God in the GTA and it's going to get weird, but it's worth it. So repent of your fear and get on board so we can all keep moving together. But most importantly is this. For all of us that are brand new, literally in the last hour in this conversation and for all of us who have been on this journey for years, Here's the greatest request. Would you choose, would we choose to ask God for the greatest gift? I mean, we're going to spend all next week on it, but you know what? Humility and love is what makes the Christian movement so sweet. And love is patient. I want you to see this through the lens of gifts. And love is kind. And love doesn't envy. It doesn't care what anyone else has got. Love doesn't boast. It doesn't strut. It's not proud. It never dishonors anybody. Love isn't self-seeking. Love isn't easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil things. It rejoices with truth. Love protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes and love always perseveres. As Paul wrote 2,000 years ago to our brothers and sisters, he said, this is the most excellent way. This is the greatest gift. This allows you to hold electricity in your hand. And the more that you actually ask God to produce in you love, the more electricity he will give you because you can handle it. So would we stand across this whole church And would we pray a few things? Number one, Father and Son, send the Holy Spirit to reveal to us if any gift or any experience that even has produced good was not from you. Help us to quickly, willfully say to Jesus, I don't want that anymore and be free. For others of us who are are not followers of Jesus and God has just spoken like a whisper or like thunder today. And we, we know we need to come home now. We just say this, Jesus is Lord. I believe God the Father raised him from the dead. Jesus is Lord. I repent, I come home. For others of us, we want to say, Lord, I want to know my gifts. <laughs> Lead me to understand truly how you've equipped me. So Holy Spirit, would you superintend those conversations? For others of us here today, we need to say, Lord, sorry for giving up or not serving with my gifts. Forgive us. 
Restore us, and I just pray in the name of Jesus, by God the Father's will, that the Spirit of God would fall fresh across our church and there would be a new power in many people that have actually stopped using their gifts. For others of us, Lord, we are the ones who need to repent because we've said, I don't want to be around those people or those gifts. Lord, forgive us. Help us not to compare, but to be joyful in diversity as you equip us. And for all of us, not just in this moment, we, I mean, we really pray this. Jesus Christ, produce in us love that we can't even imagine. You've got to do it because if you don't, we can't. All glory be to God the Father who is eternal. All, ble- all glory be to God the Son who has died, risen from the dead and prays for us and holds us. All glory be to the Holy Spirit who assures us of our resurrection, gives us power that is not our own, our own, and continuously baptizes us and fills us with love and allows us the gifts of the Spirit so we can show the world that Jesus is alive through the church. Amen, amen, amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.